I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And since the new year, we've been in a series called Glimpses of Jesus, where what we're trying to do is, is look at Jesus and in the process probably unlearn some things as well as learn some things and we're attempting to engage in the Scriptures. Now, if you've been a part of a house church, you know that we've been actually flipping it and giving you the passage ahead of time and then we're coming together prepared to be able to explore and discuss this together. So, my role is less lecturer and more facilitator. So, I'm very excited about this. I'm going to give a little bit of background and Sarah Radcliffe is going to come and read the passage and then we're going to engage together. So, we're going to shape our time here this morning. If you're new with us, yes, we want you to participate. We want you to talk. Uh, that's a, a part of the deal here. So, um, yeah. So I want to give you a little bit of background. We'll, we'll show you a couple slides here. So the story we're going to look at in Mark chapter 8 is going to feel like three stories. But I actually want you to see it as one story with three different scenes. Because if we only look at them as three stories, we actually miss the whole point of Mark chapter 8. We've got to see the whole chapter to understand why this makes sense. So one, chap- or one, one story with three scenes. All right? Now this, uh, this happens around the Sea of Galilee. You've seen these pictures before. Uh, here's a picture on Google Earth from, from space of the Sea of Galilee. Um, now again, the western side would be the Jewish side. The eastern side would be the Gentile side. Now, we're going to look at a story of the feeding of the 4,000. Let me show you a picture here of the feeding of the 4,000. It happened in this particular area, they believe, based on what we know about the context of the chapter before. Um, so that's where that's at. This is the most deserted part of the lake. It's even deserted to this day. Okay? And then there's a story that we're going to look at about a blind man. And it actually happened in um, Bethsaida. This is Bethsaida. Some of the disciples were from Bethsaida. The, I'm looking at Kelly and some others who were on our trip to Israel. We actually spent some time up in Bethsaida. This is where Peter would be from. You see some of the outlets there in terms of uh, the streams and tributaries. Perfect place for fishermen to live. Because that's where those tributaries would bring spawning of fish. So it's a great place to be. Um, now, when we talk about um, the story of loaves and fish, what we're not talking about is a loaf of bread that was sliced. Okay, Sliced bread. We're thinking more in terms of pita. Okay? So each pita would be considered a loaf. Okay? So we're not thinking we're going to create sandwiches and sliced bread. And, and, but think of loaves as you would think about, about this. So the other thing I want to make sure we understand is a Jewish understanding of numbers. A Jewish understanding of numbers. Now we think very logically in terms of a Greek or Western approach in terms of abstractions. But the Jews would actually think in terms of visual pictures. So when they would hear a number, they would connect it to a story. And so number meant something to them in terms of their history. So you look at some of these, when they hear one, they think, oh, the one and only Yahweh, the one and only God. Think of the two tablets that God gave to Moses with the Ten Commandments. With three, they think of the three fathers of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the four matriarchs. When the number four would come up, they go, oh, yeah, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. When the number five would be present, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, a gift given from God to His people. Seven days of creation, i.e., God finished everything. It's a completion concept, right? Twelve, think of the twelve tribes of 
uh, of Israel and also the 12 disciples. There's a reason why Jesus chose 12. It's symbolic as a way of saying, this, my message is for all tribes, all people. And then when people hear 50 or 100, they think about when Moses was absolutely exhausted and he couldn't judge all the people. And his father-in-law, the wise one, Jethro, said, you need to actually get them into 50s and 100s and designate other people to do this because you're going to get worn out. The whole point of this is just to say, when you hear numbers, you think of 1, 2, 3, 4. They actually think of their story. They think of their history. And this is going to be really important as we look at the story today because we miss things if we don't know this. But Jews, as they would read this, would go, oh, of course. Oh, look at that connection. Look at that. All right? So that's important for us to know. And the story we're going to look at in terms of the feeding of the 4,000, I wish it weren't called that because that's just 4,000 men. It probably would be between 10 and 12,000 people. Okay? So keep that in mind. Now, this is an amazing number considering the neighboring towns of Capernaum, Jesus' hometown, and Bethsaida, the fishing town that we looked at, because they each had about two to 3,000 people total. So think about this. When Jesus does that miracle, it's the combination of multiple villages on one hillside. That's pretty impressive. You think, how do you talk to that many people without a sound system, without speakers or microphones? Well, there are certain parts that you can even go to today that are nat- natural amplification coves. It's on a hillside. It's rounded. It's slanted. When it says that Jesus got in the boat to teach, you guys ever been out on the water and you're like, I can hear people like a mile away out on a boat. Twelve times more does water amplify than land. So no wonder Jesus went out on a boat He's out on a boat. He's got water as a natural amplification up on a rounded hillside that looks like an amphitheater. With a good projection, you actually can have that heard very well. Very well. And as we think about this, before it's being read here in just a moment by Sarah, I want you to think about this. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus asks 16 questions. Now, Jesus cares about questions. It's very rabbinical in His training, Right? Not one plus one, what does that equal? It does, no one would say it equals two. Right? They would say, what is one plus one? They would say, what is four minus two? You would answer the question by asking a question. So Jesus, notice the questions that Jesus asks. They're everywhere in Mark chapter 8. Okay? Now with that being, uh, being said, in terms of that background information, I want you to have that in the forefront of your minds. And then Sarah's going to come now, and she's going to read from Mark chapter 8. So would you stand as she reads the first 26 verses? In those days, there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He summoned the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've already stayed with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home famished, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered him, Where can anyone get enough bread here in a desolate place to fill these people? How many loaves do you have? He asked them. Seven, they said. Then he commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, and kept on giving them to his disciples to set before the people. 
so they served the loaves to the crowd. They also had a few small fish, and when he had blessed them, he said, These will be served as well. They ate and were filled. Then they collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 men were there. He dismissed them and immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went on the, on the way to the district of Dal Manuka. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. But sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? I assure you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got on board the boat again, and went to the other side. They had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then he commanded them, Watch out! Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. They were discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, Why are you discussing that you do not have any bread? Do you not understand or comprehend? Is your heart hardened? Do you have eyes and not see? And do you have ears and not hear? And do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves of the five thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces of bread did you collect? Twelve, they told him. When I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many large baskets full of pieces of bread did you collect? Seven, they said. And he said to them, Don't you understand yet? Then they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Sitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look to me like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes, and he said distinctly, He was cured, and could see everything clearly. Then he sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. You can be seated. Thanks, Sarah. Well, as we've done before, we want to spend some time discussing this in smaller groups. So what we'd like you to do, I've got uh, some questions up here. Four of our five normal ones, but we're going to do the first four. I want you to just turn around with, again, two or three people, and just, what's going on? Not in one of the stories, but in all three of those together as a larger story, Okay. You don't have to share, but this would be a good time to just circle up. And you don't have to be fearful of being wrong. We're just trying to learn together, okay? So let's spend some time and let's, uh, let's just get in groups. And we'll do this for just a few minutes. And then we want to learn and hear from each other, okay? Ready? Go. Here's what I want us to do. In terms of the discussion, I know you, you had a chance to talk about scene one, scene two, and scene three. This first portion of the discussion, let's keep it at the scene one. All right, that's the feeding of the four thousand. All right. Let me ask you this: as we think about the feeding, scene one. All right. What prompted this miracle happening? What? Why? Why was Jesus compelled to do this? It says it right in there. Compassion, right? Compassion. Uh, I love the message says. This crowd is breaking my heart. <laughs> I think that's important. That we understand the motivation of Jesus. He wasn't going and going, you know what? It's been a little while since I made some magic. You know? I've I got to keep my ratings up. I'd like to be trending on Twitter, so I probably need to throw in another cool thing so people are talking about me. He looks around and he says, my heart's breaking for these people. They've been here for three days. Now, what does it tell you about a crowd that's willing to be here for three days without food? I don't know about you, but I'm not sure there's something that would keep my attention 
for three whole days without food to say it's still worth me sticking around for. It tells me a lot about the crowd. It also tells me a lot about the teaching ability of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I'm worried about trying to keep people's attention for 30 minutes, you know? Not three days. That's pretty incredible. But what were some of the things in terms of what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it in this particular section of the feeding of the 4,000? Do you notice anything? If you've read this before that you hadn't seen before, or if you've never read this story, what jumped out at you? What did you like and not like about this? Feel free to, to stand up and project loudly. I know you talked about stuff. I heard your chatter. Yeah, yeah, April. So I have a message and I have that same um, version that you just said about how it was breaking his heart. And I thought that was the part that really stood out to me hmm. when we read it in how Scripture read it through a couple different versions. And the idea that just food, something that's like a basic, it's not anything crazy or why we all do it, and that that's the thing that was breaking his heart, like that means that all the way down to like hmm. a little tiny itty bitty thing. Hmm. Break his heart. The mm. big things, the little things, all the things. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, what else? What did you like or not like about this? What sticks out at you to you? Yeah, Johnny. Well kinda of following that up, it's interesting when he went through forty days without eating in the wilderness, his response was man will not live by bread alone. Huh. Imagine if you did that to that whole crowd. Like they're hungry and be like, man will not live by the bread alone. Turn to Exodus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, did you all get a chance in your house churches to talk about the difference between the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and this story of the feeding of the 4,000? They're not the same. They're different stories. There are some similarities and some differences, and you can quickly look at that if you go two chapters to the left in your Bibles, you can read about the story of the 5,000. There are some differences. Did anybody have a chance to look at that in your house churches? Or even just thinking about it now? What are those similarities and differences? Because there are some. There are fish in the 5,000 story. Well, there are fish in the 4,000? Yeah, verse 7. And they had a few small fish as well. Yeah, same meal, but they're not numbered. Now, think of the numbers. Remember the numbers we talked about? How would that how would those numbers matter in this particular story? Seven is what? Completion. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mark's saying, hey, hey, notice how many fish are here or how many loaves are here. Woohoo. Seven. Oh, completion. Right? And then he goes back to numbers in the discussion. And we can just jump ahead just a little bit here on that too, right? What happened in the feeding of the 5,000? Right? Hey, look at that. Some bread showing up. One, two, three, four, five. Seven loaves. Cool. Yeah, so the five is mentioned, right. Oh, God's gift to us, the Pentateuch. Hmm, this is a gift to us too. How many were left over, right? So they're in the boat and what happens? Jesus asks, so in the feeding of the 5,000, how many were left over? What does it say? Twelve. Oh, 
completion. More than enough. We were full, and then we had more than enough. And how and Jesus says, and how many did we just pick up basketfuls left over with this one? Seven. Seven. Oh, completion. We were full, and then more than that, we were completely full with even our leftovers. These are not just coincidental numbers here. Jesus is like, do you get it? Are you seeing it? No, they they didn't. That's right. That's the answer. They didn't see it. That's exactly right. Yeah. Pointed out at our house church by one of the women who's hosted a number of people for dinner. (laughs) They're trying to coordinate for, say, 12, the amount of food that you make. Yeah. And if Jesus is trying to make a point of showing completion and having exactly seven loaves or seven baskets full, that's mind-boggling. Yeah. It is mind-boggling. Yep. And Jesus, being who He was, could have made the exact amount. Down to the last crumb, and everyone says, I'm full, there's nothing left in the baskets, but they all told us we're full. Sweet. That isn't what He did. That is not what He did. And one of the things that I thought was great about um, the discussion when I was with the Eagleville House Church last week is Doug Moister Sr. asked a question about the crowd. He said, do you think the crowd even knew that they were a part of a miracle? They may not have. We don't know. But here's an important detail I think is, is crucial in this story for us. How many of us have said, I just need God to do a miracle? And so what we kind of do is we get in the fetal position in the corner and say, God, you're big, do something. Do you realize what Jesus didn't do in terms of this story? What he didn't do is say, disciples, you sit here. You watch what I'm about to do. It's pretty awesome. And then he went and did it, and they were sitting there going, wow. What did he do? He actually broke the bread and gave it to them. And in their participation with Jesus, the miracle happened. Woo! That's big. He didn't say, you sit there, don't screw it up. I'm kind of afraid you might screw it up. Let me just handle this. He breaks it and He hands it to them and the miracle happens in the midst of that. doesn't happen just because of them, but He says, I want you to participate with Me to see these things happen. So the fetal position, God, just do something, doesn't work. He says, hey, I know it seems impossible. Let Me work, but I need and want you to work with me to see this miracle happen. Hashtag implications. This has implications for us. Yes, yeah, Blaine. When he fed 5,000 the first time, he actually told, he didn't say, I'm going to feed them. Yeah. I want to feed them. Yeah. You feed them. You do it. That's right. That's right. Yep. So if you're a disciple, and that happens two chapters prior, we don't know the amount of time between the 5,000 and now the 4,000, you've seen it once and it's blown you away. Then you see it again two chapters later. What are you thinking if you're a disciple? It's the second time thousands of people have been fed. What's going through? Oh yeah, I know what's coming. Or are you like... Learning something, finally. They didn't think of it. Yeah. Immediately, they were in the boat. Why do we go for one loaf of bread? 
Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Absolutely. And we'll get to that in a minute because that's very important. But the miracle of participation is huge here. Of being invited in to see what God can do. Not so we go, aren't we awesome? No, no, no. It's all because of Jesus. But He says, I want to use you. So let me throw out some of these questions for you. What implications does this have for your prayer life? What implications does this have on how you pray as a house church? What implications does this have on this idea of kingdom experiments we're looking to launch throughout the year? Do we have to have everything worked out? Does it have to all make logical sense before we begin to do it? Might God be saying, hey, I want to use you. I need your faith. I want to use your faith to see some of these really amazing things happen that the world goes, wow, God's amazing. But I want to use you in that process. Now again, John, in John 6, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Are the disciples going, oh, wait a second, huh, he provided bread. As a good Jew, they would know their history, so they might be thinking, oh, Exodus 16. Wandering Israelites in the wilderness have no provision, but God graciously provides manna, bread for us to eat. Are they making that connection? Are the people on the hillside making this connection here? So let me ask a rhetorical question and then we'll come back to it. Who is this miracle for? Because that matters. Who is it for? So then we see they, the Pharisees came. They begin to, you know, to question Him. And I love this because it shows the humanity of Jesus. Did anybody in your house churches pick this up? Verse 12. What are those first three words there? He sighed deeply. We tend to think Jesus just walks around like this, you know, just like on drugs with a little sash, you know, and just has no emotion. He was human. Right? I mean, he sighed. He didn't just sigh. He said he sighed deeply. Let this sink in. He is real. He's a person with emotions. They're asking for a sign. See Jesus for who he is. He's frustrated. <sighs> Doesn't the miracle qualify as a sign? I would think, but that's not enough of a sign for them, I guess. It's a great question. <laughs> why, is that, why is that not enough? Yeah. Right, alright. So then we get to scene two. And he moves from sighing deeply to something more severe. Okay? Verse 14. So they're getting back, you know, and crossing to the other side of the lake, and that could be directly across or even just getting in the lake to avoid sort of that upper hook of the lake there, geographically. Okay? So it goes up to Bethsaida, and the disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. You just saw 4,000 plus people were fed. 
And two chapters later, you just saw 5,000 plus people who were fed. And now you're worried about how you're going to have lunch. What? Are you kidding me? So Jesus talks about the yeast of the Pharisees. Now what the heck is that about? Yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, yeast is never a good thing except for one parable Jesus tells about a woman kneading dough. And it's like yeast that gets all the way through. He's basically saying a little bit can get through the whole batch. Okay, A little bit of the kingdom can actually spread the kingdom all around. But in every other place throughout, throughout the Scriptures, yeast is bad. Yeast is contaminating. A little bit can ruin the whole batch. Right? So if you replace... Still, yeast, what do you mean? Were you making bread here? What's going on? It, yeast... If you replace yeast with the word attitude, you get at what Jesus is getting at. Watch out for the Pharisees' attitude. Watch out for Herod's attitude. Don't be like them. Do not be like them. So what is their attitude if we don't have the attitude of the Pharisees? Moral elitism, condescension, religious exclusivism. By the way, this is not limited to spiritual realms. Tribalism, nationalism, all have the same spirit. Jesus is saying, don't, don't be so worried about who's in and who's out. Don't be so judgmental and look down your noses. You've got to worry about your own life, right? Remember he says, you've got a plank in your eye. Don't worry about the little speck in someone else's eye. That's yeast attitude. So he tells them, don't be like that. Because he's referring to, they need a sign. Right? This condescending, show us a sign. Hey, I just showed you a sign. So he says, don't be like them. I think he's saying it because we don't have any bread. Right? They're just totally missing the point. Totally missing the point. And then in verse 17, he just launches into asking eight questions, right? You see that? Let me read it with the tone that it probably needs to be read in, okay? He's deeply sighed. Now he's frustrated. His disciples aren't getting it, right? Are you seriously talking about having no bread? Are you serious? Do you still not see or understand what's going on here? Are your heart seriously this hardened? You have eyes, but you can't even see with those eyes. You have ears, but why are you so deaf? You don't you remember? I broke the five loaves and the five thousand, and how many basketfuls did we pick up? Peter, how many? How many? Okay, now what just happened? How many basketfuls did we pick up? Seven. What? James, what? Seven. Do you still not understand? In other words, are you really this dumb? Are you really this dumb? It's a rebuke slash teaching slash correction. He's basically saying, don't you see the point of this? Yeah, Claudia. Who were they talking about it with? Each other. Yeah. Not Jesus. Yeah. They didn't include Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> why, why not? They were embarrassed. Maybe they were embarrassed. I don't know. They were embarrassed. Uh, if you go back to 6, 52. It says something similar. Yeah, you're right. 
Right? Yeah, they were terrified you know, the, the storm. And they were amazed for they did not understand the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Yeah. Yeah. Alright, now let's look at scene three. But as we get to scene three, the blind man, before we get there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tip my hand here and say, I think the key verse of this entire story in three scenes is verse 18. Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? I think, I think that's the point that Jesus is trying to drive home here. Okay. Now then we get this really unique passage in scene 3 with the, the blind man. Now, if we only see the blind man as that story in and of itself, isolated from everything else, it doesn't make any sense. But if it's a part of the larger picture, it makes plenty sense. Okay? Just look at that and go, what do you mean? Okay. He's in Bethsaida. Some people brought a blind man, begged Jesus to touch him. He says, okay, thanks. You guys can leave. And he takes the man and he leaves the village. Wait a second. Everyone's around you. You want to trend on Twitter? Do it in front of everybody else. Do it while everyone's watching. He said, no, no, no. Thanks. We got him. And they take him by the hand. So it's the disciples and Jesus and this man. They led him to the village. He spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Now, I have a question. Couldn't Jesus have just said, you can see now, why does he have to do this disgusting thing of spitting on him? He's done that before. Couldn't he just said, you're free. Couldn't he have touched him? Boom. He spits on him. He tries to heal him. He tries to restore him. And he says, do you see anything? There's another question. What do you see? I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Did Jesus mess up? Why didn't Jesus get it right? Did he mess up? No, he didn't mess up. But then it says, and he put his hands on the man's eyes again, and they were opened, and they were completely cured. And then he says to the man, don't go back to the village. What? This is your chance to be famous, Jesus. Send him back. And he says, no, no, no. That's where he used to, I know you can see now, that's the village. I actually want you to go that way. Where am I going? I don't know, just go. Now, who is this miracle for? If the miracle is for the man, it doesn't make sense. If the bread is for the crowd, it doesn't fully make sense. For the disciples. If the miracle is for the disciples, what do we learn from this? 4,000 are fed, and as Doug Sr. said, they may not have even known that they were part of the miracle. But the disciples go, whoa, look at what happened when we participate with Jesus. It keeps coming. And then we still don't get it. And what does Jesus say? You have eyes, but your eyes can't see, fellas. 
So here's what I think. I'm going to pantomime. Okay, so this is conjecture, but based on the context, here's what I think Jesus did. Here's the man. The disciples are right here watching. What do you guys see? Or what do you see? They look like trees walking around. <laughs> guys, the guy said he had eyes, but he can't see. All right, man. What do you see now? I'm cured. Okay, you can go this way. No, 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 this way. Not the village, this way. Thank you. Blindness. This seri- th- these three scenes in one story is about blindness. Not about bread, not about a discussion, not about a healing. Jesus is trying to get his disciples to learn about blindness. There's spiritual blindness, the feeding of the 5,000. There's intellectual blindness, the discussion on the boat. Now there's physical blindness. He says, You're so dull, I've got to give it to you three different ways. It becomes a different story when we see it as a whole, don't we? So let me, let me pause there. What are you seeing? What are, are there some things that, some aha moments that maybe you had in house church last week or this week or even right now? How are you seeing the story differently? April. So not the story, but I thought that it was ironic that in John and Carrie's story, she had that moment, I don't know all the technical terms, but where she saw her arm and she couldn't tell the difference and then finally her sight came back and then this is the story. That huh. Completely unintentional, by the way. I love when God does that. It's a great point. What else? What are you seeing? What's what's stirring in you that you say, ah, this says something to me? Yes, Liz. Um, we were having a discussion about yeast. <coughs> yeah. I bake my own bread, so for me this stands out. Hmm. Um, because of what yeast does and the difference between a loaf that has yeast in it and a loaf that's flat that doesn't have yeast in it. So he's trying to teach them something pretty deep. About the Pharisees, and they're totally not tracking with him. Yeah. And so, how many times I think he has to backtrack to something, backtrack to something much simpler. Hmm. I'm thinking, how many times is God trying to teach him something, but it's like, oh my gosh, she's nowhere near ready for that. Huh. All right, let's backtrack. Huh. And I think that's probably my life. <laughs> huh. Huh. All the time to backtrack, repeat, repeat, repeat a different way, and I'm just, you know. I'm so thankful that he's merciful you every morning, that he's patient, it talks about how patient he is. And this is what I see that, you know, yes, he gets, gets frustrated, but he always exercises that patience and keeps going with us. And then just as Jesus is like that with me, how will I exercise that mm. to others who I come across, who I live with, who I minister to, etc. Yeah. So he's harsh with them, right? He sighs deeply, he asks questions, but he never gives up on them. Let that sink in. He never walks away from the twelve. It's, it's the disciples who walk away from Him. That's an immense amount of love. Because if you're sitting here saying, I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I want to apprentice to Him, but I don't know how to do that without screwing up a thousand times. Guess what? 
he might be upset and say, you got to get this. Are you seeing this? Notice what's happening here. But he will never give up on you in your pursuit. He'll never say, you know what? That's it. I'm cutting you off. You've hit the quota. Go find somebody else to follow. He still sticks in with us and loves us to the end. I think that's an amazing element of God's character through the person of Jesus we can't miss. There was a hand up over here, I think. Yeah, Kent. Um, I think one thing I'm seeing through this is that seeing spiritual truth and spiritual wisdom doesn't come naturally. Mm -hmm. And that it really is a God thing. He's the one who has to reveal things to us Mm. and teach us and lead us and guide us. Mm. And that's something I think we need to be diligent as disciples of Christ and asking for. Saying, God, help me to see. And the other thing I thought was interesting is I've been doing the 4440 thing, and mm-hmm. there's some stories where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and giving them parables and things. And the Pharisees get it. They're like, ooh, he's talking about us. We want to kill him. Huh. But, but they get it. So Great connection. Great connection. So remember in Mark, who gets Jesus more than anyone else? The demons. <laughs> Very interesting. People, the second group of people that get him the most, the Pharisees, and the people who get him the least are his own followers. So yeah, Kent. Kent. I was uh, kind of experiencing some anxiety. And, uh, A little bit louder so we all can hear you. I was experiencing anxiety and just seeing that that is the same type of thing as when the disciples forgot about Huh. It's like that uh, forgetting who's in control hmm. and you know, having a, a revelation and then coming back to that is uh, sort of what I'm experiencing. Yeah, yeah. And they just talked about it amongst themselves. It's like, a, you know, me expecting to hear godly wisdom but only talking to myself in my head or not. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got the person in the boat that not only like did the miracle of all the loaves in your boat, but the one that created everything that ever exists. And they go, Oh no. What are we gonna do? But I chuckle, but that chuckle is silenced quickly when I realize I do that multiple times a week. For some of those who struggle with anxiety, and you all know I'm one of them, this is a great, very important thing for me. When I start to worry about provision, Jesus says, hey, I'm in the boat, man. I'm here. Don't forget it. I'm right here. So if you're a disciple, 5,000 happen, and you go, oh, that's amazing. 4,000 happen, and he starts asking these rhetorical questions. How how many basketfuls were left over? Twelve. How many basketfuls were left over? Seven. Then he just heals a man, and he says, hey, you have eyes, but you don't see. At what point do the scales begin to fall off their eyes? I actually think this story with three scenes is Jesus spitting 
in the eyes of his, of his disciples of this process of moving from blindness to sight. Some of us may feel like Jesus has to do that in five or six or ten or fifteen parts for us, not in two. You may say, God, I want to trust you, but all I see are just like trees walking around. God, would you keep, would you give me kingdom eyesight? Would you keep spitting as long as you need to? Keep touching as long as you need to? Because I just want to be unlearning and relearning and learning who you really are. While the miracles weren't for the crowd and probably weren't for the man, they were for the disciples, if we allow it to, these stories will be spit in our eyes and the miracle may be for us. So as the aha moment is coming to the disciples and they're going, oh, oh, wait a second. All right, wait. This is about us. We're that guy spiritually. Jesus ends Mark 8 this way. No coincidence. Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. And then Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him.